Turn with me to John chapter 15 in your Bible. John chapter 15, I concluded uh, two weeks ago, uh, John 14, let not your heart be troubled. And I'll remind you that all the events in John 13 to John 17 is just 24 hours in the, in the uh, time frame of our Lord. Really about John 12, kind of the end of John 12 to about John 18, uh, we see just a 24-hour window into the life of Jesus before he heads to the cross. John 14 deals with the hope of heaven, and John 15 deals with help on earth. The last phrase of John 14 says this, Arise, let us go. Now think about it. John 14, they've been in an upper room. Matter of fact, John 13. Even some of John 12, they, Jesus was teaching, encouraging. Matter of fact, their hearts were heavy because Jesus has told them that I'm leaving. And they still don't quite understand the, the, the magnitude of his leaving. They still don't quite understand the cross. They don't understand what Jesus is actually speaking of, but they're heavy. There's a heaviness. Jesus saying, let not your heart be troubled. He said, I've prepared a place for you, and, and I've sent you a comforter, and, and I've given you the, the power of prayer. And he gives all these reasons why their hearts should not be troubled. Then in John 15, he, as he's leaving, a let us rise and go. I, I, I think that this time, and of course we don't see it in this text, but I believe as they leave that upper room, Jesus begins, and it's at night. There'd probably be a full moon. It's April. It's the Passover. And... Uh, they'd be going up the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley leads from uh, the uh, valley where you have the Mount of Olives on the right and you'd have uh, the uh, Jerusalem walls on the left. And there would be a valley nestled between. And there's a garden there, and we call it the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe Jesus is leaving that upper room in Jerusalem, comes out one of those walls, no doubt maybe sees the gate to the temple, which had vines over on it, maybe inlaid in it. Maybe he's actually grabbed a, a vine from the side of the road, maybe from a, a, a neighboring vineyard, and he starts speaking of vines to his disciples as they're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. Something prompted Jesus, I'm not sure, but it prompted Jesus to begin to talk to his disciples about these vines and these vine dressers and, and even fruit. And Jesus may have taken the branches of a vine and held it in his hands and explained to them something like this. As these branches are united, as these branches are connected in the vine, so are you connected to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And as the branches abide in the vine, just so you are to abide in me. Then he maybe would hold a grape in his hand and he would say the branches bear fruit because they are connected to the vine. And without me, you'll not be able to bear fruit. In fact, without me, you can do nothing. So in a paraphrasing and, and, and kind of putting it together, as we go through these verses, remember that the passage that I'm preaching is just to believers. This is not a message that Jesus is preaching to multitudes. This is not a message that he's preaching to masses and to people, maybe in the streets. Jesus is actually talking to his followers. Let's begin in verse number 1. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman or the farmer, or the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach. And Lord, I, I know the power is in the Word, and Lord, I pray that you bring to my mind the thoughts that you have had for me and prepared for me. Lord, I pray that we'll hear it and do something about what we've heard. In Jesus' name, amen. The first phrase in our text is, I am the true vine. This is the seventh of our Lord's I am statements in the gospel. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the door of the sheep. He said, I'm the good shepherd in the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And here in our text, Jesus now declares himself the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. He adds that I am in this statement. I am the true vine. Why would Jesus say the word true in front of the word vine? Because... The vine was the historic as well as the religious symbol of Israel. Israel is a picture of a vine. Matter of fact, if you were to turn over to Psalms chapter 80, verses 1 or verses 8 through verse 10, the psalmist there writes Israel as God's vine. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse number 21 declared Israel as God's vine. Israel, or, or rather Isaiah, uh, is a prophet and uh, he in Isaiah chapter 5 and again in chapter 7 declares Israel as God's vine. So the Old Testament portrays Israel as God's vine, but here's what Israel did. Israel proved to be one that was disobedient. Israel proved that it would be an unfaithful vine, that it would be a fruitless vine. And, and Israel's faithless rejection of God Continued, we, we continue to see God's care for Israel, God's love for Israel. God is mercy. We, we sung that today. But can I tell you, he was merciful, but Israel never reached the potential that God actually had for them. And by the way, one day they will. But, but in the Old Testament, they were constantly stiffening their necks and hardening their hearts, and they were constantly in rejection. They were going after false gods. And, and can you imagine what God was feeling as he watched the vine that he had, the apple of his eye, the people that God has chosen to be his people, constantly reject. God intended for Israel to bring forth the Messiah, the nation to follow him, and Israel to be the example of other nations to point the way to the Messiah. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus declares that in verse number 1. He will accomplish all that God intended the Messiah to do. He will restore Israel one day. And Jesus knew that his disciples would soon be kicked out of the temple worship. He knew that they would soon be barred from the synagogue. He knew that the disciples soon would be ostracized from tradition of Judaism. And here's what I believe Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. I am the real thing. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by other false Christs. Don't be deceived by other things. Connect to me. Abide in me. It's not religion. It's a relationship. It's not you being something form, form, uh, formality or some type of ritual. It's that you know me. Jesus is giving his disciples a lecture on 
vineyards and on vines and on fruits. I just want to preach for a few minutes this morning, very simple message on how to be a fruitful Christian. How to be a fruitful Christian. The first couple verses that I just read to you tells us about the communication of Jesus. I'll read them again. Look with me in verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser or the farmer. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it or cleaneth it that it may bring forth more fruit. There's three words that I want you to notice just in these two uh, first verses here in chapter 15. The first word is the word vine. Jesus himself is the vine. He is the source of life. He is the sap of life. He is life. And without him, there would be no branches, there would be no fruit, and there would be no vineyard. Jesus is the vine in chapter 15. The very first thing we need to learn is that without him, we have no life. And once we are in Him, the life that we have is really flowing through us. We're not doing anything because without Him we can do nothing. And so He's the vine and and the fruit that we bear, it's because of the vine. A branch itself cannot produce fruit. A branch needs a vine. A branch is something that needs life. We never stop receiving our life from Him. If you were to go over and jot a few verses down, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, we're crucified with Christ. That is the life that we live, and the life that we live is through the faith in the Son of God. It's through Jesus Christ. He gives life, amen? And any fruit that we bear, it's because we're tapped into the vine. We see the communication. Then there's the second word that I want you to notice. Not only vine, but I want you to notice the word branches. Branches speak of true believers. We are defined as the branches. Branches are actually the extension of the vine. There is no fixed line that says the vine ends here and the branch begins here. If you were to examine a vine and you were examine a maybe a vineyard, you would find that the vine is the main hub in which the sap of life flows. But then out of that hub is where we have the branches that come off and the grapes that are produced. That is why Jesus couldn't have chosen a better illustration. Matter of fact, some commentators say the, the, the branch depends on the vine even more so than the sheep depend on the shepherd. Sheep can live without the shepherd. Oh, it's dangerous. And yeah, there's some, some problems. You can wander off and you can get hurt. But a vine, or rather a branch, cannot live without a, a, a vine. It is a source of life. It implies that we continually sense his needing Here's the third, uh, third word that I want you, or phrase that I want you to see is the, the husbandman or the vine dresser. Who is that? That is God. That's the Father. The Father is the vine dresser who cares for the vineyard and He watches over it. Matter of fact, I, I had the privilege of, of going to Israel in January and we went to a vineyard, uh, what would be a vineyard. It was a real vineyard, produced real fruit and but a lot of groups would go through here and it was a vineyard that would be in the time of Jesus. So they had it all the same way and you walk through this little vineyard and you'd walk through uh, different areas like it would have been in Nazareth. It was, a, it was a vineyard in Nazareth. And right in the middle of the vineyard was a tall tower 
where the vine dresser or the farmer would sometimes come up and would look out over the vineyard to see if there was any thieves that would come and try to steal the grapes. Or any animals that was trying to sneak, uh, sneak through the fence or whatever they had around, the rock wall or whatever they had, and would try to eliminate that from happening. So they would get on a high tower and they would look. That was the role of the vine dresser or the farmer. They would call him a watchman and they would watch over this vineyard. He keeps it clean. He watches over it. He does everything needful so that it will bear much fruit. If there was no watchman then people could just come in and pluck some grapes off or an animal could come in and feast on it and nobody ever do anything. And by the way, fruit would not be present in that vineyard. So there's the vine, there's the branches, and there is the vine dresser. But then I want you to notice not only the communication of Jesus, but the challenge of Jesus. There's three things that Jesus challenges his followers, his disciples to do. The first thing is found in verse number four. Look with me. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Verse five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do Nothing. Ten times in 11 verses, Jesus uses the word abide. The main subject in John 15 is not bearing fruit. The main subject in John 15 is abiding in Christ. Ten times in 11 verses. You think he's trying to get the point across? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, the word abide is the Greek word meno, which means to settle down or to be at home or to remain with someone, to spend time with someone so that you really get to know that person deeply and personal. So we are to get as close to the Lord as we possibly can to become one with Him and to be at home with Jesus, to stay in contact with Jesus. So guess what we do? When we abide in Him, we know Him. Do you abide in Christ this morning? Do you abide in the Lord Jesus? How do we do that? We do that through His Word. Someone asked me in the lobby this morning, Preacher, how do I abide? How do I keep that constant connection with the Lord? You keep that constant connection through the only love letter He ever wrote. You keep that constant connection through prayer. Hey, we have access to the throne room of God through His blood. And we can come to the throne room of God and we can go and we don't have to talk to a priest. We don't have to talk to a pastor. We don't have to talk to a good Christian. We can go straight to Him through Jesus Christ. How do we keep it fresh? How do we keep that relationship? We keep it through uh, prayer and through His Word. And also, listen, we keep it through worship. We worship the Lord, and not just Sunday, we worship every day. How do we keep that relationship? You say, well, preacher, I'd like to be close to Jesus, but if abiding with Him means daily reading my Bible and daily prayer and faithfulness to worship and faithfulness to the things of God, I just don't have time. And I believe that's an excuse that a lot of people have. I believe I'm preaching to some wonderful people this morning. I believe I'm preaching to some of the best people in the world, but can I tell you, I'm preaching to some of the busiest people. It's amazing to me that we have time for all the hobbies that we have and all the things that we have, but when it comes to us abiding in Christ, we're lacking. 
Kind of like that preacher or that guy that went to the doctor and he, he, um, uh, he, he said, now doctor, I need a good physical. I just don't have any energy. So when I get home, he said, I tell my wife to make me a glass of tea and a sandwich. He said, I'll go out there and tell her, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get the lawnmower started. And he said, I'll go out there and maybe do a row or two. And then my wife has to finish mowing the yard. That's pretty bad. Our grass would be high, I know that. He said, I try to do everything. And he said, but I just don't have the energy. And, and, and Doc, I need a good physical. Doc said, okay. So they did some blood work, did a physical, did a good exam. About a week later, he was contacted. He come back in. He said, no, Doc, let me tell you. He said, I need you to give it to me straight. He said, I don't want any of them fancy words. I want to know. I want it on the bottom shelf. What is wrong with me? And the doc said, okay, I'm going to give it to you straight. You're flat out lazy. There ain't nothing wrong with you. And I believe as Christians, the reason we are not plugged into God is we're flat out lazy. We're lazy. I don't know how close you are to Jesus, but I, do, I know this, you're as close as you want to be. Uh, how many times have you ever heard someone say, if you're going to get ahead in this world, you've just got to have the right connections? I've heard that a bunch. Let me just say this, if you're going to amount to anything for the Lord, you've got to have the right connections. And the connection needs to be to the vine. Here's the third thing, and the third phrase that the Lord used or the third word that He wants us to focus on is the word bear fruit. Bear fruit. John 15.2 means mentions no fruit. It, it mentions fruit. It mentions more fruit. So there's, a, there's a, a, a certainly an emphasis on fruit bearing or maybe no fruit or some fruit. John 15.5 speaks of much fruit. And I believe many Christians make fruit-bearing more complicated and more difficult than it really is. Some have struggled to work, and they've tried, and they've served, and they're very discouraged over their lack of fruitfulness or fruitlessness and resentfulness of others who maybe do bear fruit. Have you ever seen a fruit tree or a grapevine that struggled to produce fruit? Have you ever seen a tree that just... Just every year they say, yeah, that's an apple tree or that's a peach tree, but the fruit is just not there. It's a beautiful tree. There's nothing wrong. It doesn't seem like, but it doesn't produce the fruit. How do you bear fruit? As a Christian, we bear fruit by abiding in Christ. That's how we do it. Even though the branch bears fruit, it doesn't produce fruit. It bears fruit. The branches of the vine abide in the vine, remaining connected to the vine, but permanently, consistently, day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year, they simply rest in the connection and the position, and every year is the same. There's fruit always. Why? Because it's connected to a healthy source. The problem is not the source. The problem is what we're tapped into. To bear fruit is to abide in Christ. Stay connected in Him completely, the sap of the Spirit of God. You say, Pastor, what kind of fruit are you speaking of? What kind of fruit do you believe that, uh, that Jesus is here teaching His disciples? Well, Paul put some fruit in his letters and in his writings. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 1. Use your Bible this morning. Romans chapter 1, if you would, please. 
Romans 1, chapter number 13. Of course, Paul is commending the Romans of his calling. He greets them. He professes his concern, his desire to go and see them. He then says in verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. So his focus was the gospel. But then in verse 13, he says this, Now I would not have you to eat. To have you ignorant, brethren, that oft times I purposed to come unto you, but was let or was stopped hitherto. I was hindered, I was prevented, that I might have some fruit among you. Paul's desire was that he would see fruit among these Gentiles. That's what he says in verse 13, even as among other Gentiles. His, his desire was to see the gospel go forth in Rome. He wanted to see Gentile believers. He wanted to see uh, people, Jews. He wanted to see them to hear the gospel because he says just a few verses later, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. And buddy, if there was anybody that was never ashamed of the gospel, it was the Apostle Paul. So you say, Pastor, is that fruit bearing? Well, we'll turn with me. He says uh, in, in Romans 1, uh, and then he says in, um, I lost my place there. He said in verse 13 that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He said in Romans chapter 6, you can turn over there, Romans 6, verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, to God, you have your fruit Unto what? Holiness. There's another piece of fruit. We're no longer serving the world. We're no longer serving the flesh, but we're servants to God, which in turn produces holy fruit or fruit of holiness. So there's fruit of souls. There's fruit of holiness. And then in Romans 15, uh, you can turn over there because it's the same book, Romans 15 and verse number 26. Notice his words to these believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He said, for it pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution. I'm not sure what that contribution was. But Paul was bragging on these believers in Macedonia and Achaia for contributing something to the needs. Notice, for poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Verse 27, for it pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, so they're very grateful, they're indebted to you. Verse 27, or 28, when therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit. It's amazing that he uses the fruit. This is not a literal fruit, this is a spiritual fruit. He said, by you contributing to these believers, by you giving of yourself sacrificially, this is fruit. Every time you give something to a project or you give to your church or you're giving to missions, what are you doing? Producing fruit. It's a spiritual sacrifice, financial giving, whatever. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Turn over there with me. Colossians, just a few books away from where you're at now. One of these epistles to the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 10, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. So what does fruit do? It, it, it produces, or what does good works? It produces fruit. So when we bear fruit, we, we bear good works. Paul's saying, I want you to tell others about the gospel that I'm not ashamed of. I want you to contribute to others. I want you to have a life of holiness. I want you to have every good work. 
He said in Hebrews chapter 13, in verse number 15, I'll turn there just for sake of time. Hebrews 13, verse 15, he said this about worship and praise. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of of our lips giving thanks to His name. Every time we speak out for Jesus, every time we worship Jesus, every time we praise His name, guess what? The lips of our, the fruit of our lips is given. It is a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of our God when we praise His name. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. The first piece of fruit that we would call is the word love. What, what, is, what is Paul trying to tell us? He's saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. What are we doing? We're producing fruit, and one of those fruits is love. So what does bearing fruit look like? Well, all these different pieces of fruit that I mentioned, all these things that Apostle Paul laid out for us, they're fruit. Because we're tapped into the vine, the source. We produce these good works. We produce these things. But then what, what else happens? We'll, we'll go back to John 15 and look what Jesus said in John 15, 16. He said, You're not, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. I've heard preachers preach that this fruit is people. And I've heard that analogy, but can I say the fruit that I believe Jesus is talking about is the fruit in which he is applying the fruit of what the Apostle Paul was saying, the fruit of this works, the fruit of good works, the fruit of these things. And it'll be a byproduct of us abiding in the Lord. And guess what? It will remain on you until we go to glory. Genuine fruit. Anybody can produce some type of temporary fruit. I've seen people get plugged in and, and serve and, and that fire go out after a few weeks or a few months and they produce some good things. But listen, fruit that genuinely it, that is genuine, it will remain. You'll have that fruit as a Christian 50 years from now. If you're say, if you're, you say, well, that person's been in church all their life and the buddy, they are just serving God and they're still in it. You know why? Because their fruit has remained. Here's the third thing, the caution of Jesus. Here's what verse 5 says. I'm the vine, and ye are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. Now notice this phrase. Here's a caution. For without me ye can do nothing. Nothing. Pastor, nothing? Nothing is a zero with the rim knocked out. Zilch. Nothing. We can't do anything. Bible Baptist State, just pay attention. For, you think we can do, well, look at what we've done. We can do nothing without Him. Unless we are abiding in Christ, unless we're tapped into the source where we get our strength and we get our fruit, hey, we can do nothing. Look at the other caution that Jesus gave in verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you. My joy, that's Jesus's. My joy might remain in you and that your joy, there's a fruit that's mentioned over in Galatians 5, 
that your joy may be full. So we can't have empty joy, right? If we can have full joy, we can have empty joy. So how's your joy this morning? I was preaching two years ago in a church in Virginia, me and another pastor. This pastor invited us to come. Hey, we're going to have a two-day conference. Won't you come and preach? We get to the church. We're having lunch. The pastor, the pastor says, boys, I'm having trouble. I'm having church trouble. Boy, I hate to hear that. When you say the word church trouble, I quiver. Church trouble. I said, well, man, I hate to hear that. I didn't want to expound. I, you know, I'm there to encourage him, but again, I don't want him to feel like he has to gossip and talk about other people in his church. So we, we just kind of left it at that. He did say, I've got a family in my church that's causing major problems. He said, it's one family. It's a husband and wife, and here's what they do. They go around to other people, and they just constantly tearing down. And he said, it's affecting my church. He said, but the source is this husband and wife. And I said, okay, not here to fix anything, and I'm not going to preach on that. But I was sitting over here. Their auditorium was much like ours where it kind of fans out, and I was sitting over here on the left side, and the pastor was beside me, and the other preacher was up preaching, and the other preacher was telling some jokes. He was just kind of getting some humor because it was a tough crowd. It was a tough crowd, so he was kind of lightening the mood and telling a few little things, lighthearted things. I'm scanning the crowd, being nosy. I like to scan the crowd, so you better smile. So I was scanning the crowd looking, well, who's laughing at these jokes? I realize every, everybody's humor is a little different. But I saw the couple. They stood out like a sore thumb. Everybody was cackling and smiling, but not them. It was like Kalijah the Wooden Indian. Scowl. It wasn't just a... I didn't have a good day. It was a scowl. It was that poochie lip. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Just terrible, terrible. I noticed uh, them, and I, I, I leaned over to the pastor very just discreetly, but I leaned over to the pastor, and I said, I believe I know who's causing your trouble. I said, about fourth row over to the left, <laughs> behind the ball-headed guy. In this church, that would be debatable who that is. He said, how'd you know? And I said, it's pretty evident. Guess what happened? Church, look at me. Their joy was empty. Oh, it, listen, you can try to hide it. And you might can do a pretty good job for a week or two. But let me just say this. It's going to show up. He said that your joy might be full. It's, it's not, wonder what Jesus was meaning when he said that. We all know what Jesus was meaning. Either your joy is full or your joy is empty. How's your joy this morning? What are you joyful about? Well, what is it that, that maybe brings an, a, a tear to your eye or maybe brings the heartstrings? It kind of tugs on the heartstring. What is it? Are you excited about coming to church on Sunday or is it a fist fight? 
Some of you should be in Hollywood for acting. You get out of the car here and the, uh, you've been fighting like cats and dogs all the way down the interstate and you pull onto Harrison Bridge Road and go silent and then you get out and, Hey, brother! Hey, sister, how are you? Bunch of lying, half-empty, joy. Acting. Joy's completely non... I mean, we can't... It's not even functioning. It's not even detecting. And you're, you're just smiling from here. Like, everything's all right. I understand. Hey, sometimes you can't just tell everybody you're fighting like cats and dogs and you have no joy. You don't want to be here. But listen, you shouldn't live that way. Man, if that's your constant life, you're miserable. And by the way, young lady stopped me out here and she said, Pastor, how do I get my joy back? I told her, hey, the same way Jesus said, hey, we got to get in the Word. Uh, we're clean, th- clean through the Word. He said that in verse number 3. I'll get to that in just a moment. He said, but we, we, we can get through uh, prayer and through the Word. Hey, but listen, you got to hang around joyful people. Buddy, hanging around... Empty joy, empty people that have no joy and hanging around them constantly will drag you down. Bunch of wet blankets. Man, there's a fire in the church. God's blessing. I mean, you're just, you're just, I mean, the church is on fire and somebody comes and throws a wet blanket on it. Sticking them. Some of you need to smile. I was ready to say you need your joy. Life can't be that bad. Here's number four. We see the caution of Jesus, but then we see the contract or the pledge of Jesus. Here's what he said. Look with me in verse 13, John 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, most of the time, especially when I've heard this text preached, these verses are interpreted like this. If you're bearing fruit and things are going well, watch out. Because Jesus is coming to the vineyard and he's got some hedge clippers in his hands and he's going to prune you so that you can continue to bear fruit. He's going to leave you bloody. He's going to leave you bruised. And you better, listen, you better be afraid of Jesus. He's coming after you, and he's going to use the clippers to prune you. And it makes you think, Lord, I don't want to bear fruit. I don't want to be cut on. I do believe that such teaching is complete, kind of a complete misunderstanding of what the passage is saying. Let's go back, just for for sake of time, and look at verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, notice this phrase, he taketh away. Now, I believe that's where a lot of times people get the term that, that Jesus comes and he takes it away, he cuts it off, he takes it away. But that word taketh away in the Greek is the word arrow, which means to lift up. Hmm. So, Again, going to the Holy Land, going to, if you see a vineyard, it's a muddy place. Israel in the rainy season from about November to about May, it rains every day. Now, there's some sunshine and different things, but there's going to be some rain. They call it the rainy season. And, and by the way, everything there in northern Israel, even up to Jerusalem, is green. They harvest beautiful produce and fruit and, and beautiful vineyards and olives and different things that they produce and, and send all over the world. 
But here's what happens when the rain comes and all that sand and mud starts washing, the bottom parts of those low-hanging, fruit-bearing branches get awfully dirty and muddy, and it hinders the fruit from living. So what does the vine dresser do? The vine dresser comes by and lifts the branches from the mud and purgeth away the dirt. Why would he say in verse 3, you're clean through the word? What washes us and cleans those branches that are often dirty and low to the ground? The word of God. Verse 3, he says, you're clean through the word. It means to lift up. The word purge is a cleaning process. You put the two together, you get the understanding of what Jesus is trying to say. It's not terrorizing, it's actually terrific. He lifts us up. It's not a Jesus that cuts us off, it's a Jesus that lifts us up and cleans us through the Word, lovingly and carefully and tenderly. The picture sometimes is Jesus lopping you off with a pair of cutters and But that's not the picture that I believe he wants to give us. It's the picture of him lifting us and cleaning us off so that we can bear fruit. Notice John 15, 6. I'm almost through, but notice this. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. So this is a dead branch. He's not not plugged into the source. A branch that does not abide in Christ is a branch that's not plugged into the vine. And is withered. So that's dead. It's not producing anything. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This is, listen, if we don't abide in Christ, the fruit bearing part of our life will indeed burn. This, I've heard some people teach that this could be how we lose salvation. But folks, that's a false doctrine, first of all. But secondly, that's taking this verse out of context. Remember, he's teaching saved believers, followers, but he's saying if you're not producing fruit, what good is your branch? If you're not producing... Christian, can I ask you this this morning? Are you producing fruit? Is there any evidence in your life that you are plugged in to the vine, the true vine? You may say this morning, I don't care anything about abiding or bearing fruit. I just want to get inside the pearly gate. I just want to get inside heaven and see Jesus. Now, one day you will care because we'll all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll all stand there. For those who abide in Him, they were received answered prayer. Look at verse 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall... Ask, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Does that sound like prayer? I would love to abide in Christ so when I get on my knees and pray to Him and I need something or I I have to have something, a prayer answered, guess what? God is going to hear my prayer, but not only hear it, He's going to answer it according to His will. I don't have to wonder. Some of us pray and we pray when things are bad. Listen, I'm glad that I can talk to the Father when things are good and when things are bad. In non-emergencies and in emergencies. I'm glad I don't have to get down on my knees and say, Now, Lord, how do I start out? It's been a while. 
Friday evening, my, my daughter was uh, playing soccer against Powdersville over here. She goes to Woodruff High School. and Friday night game, very at the, at the end of the ball game, very end, about a, about a minute left in the game. She's coming. Another girl's coming. They're running full force. The girl is ahead of her, kicks the ball at her, just kicks it to get it away, hits my daughter in the head, you know, full force. Knock my daughter to the ground. She gets up and she's, she's st- staggering, falling around. She fell back down. And I saw it all happen and I thought, boy, that didn't look good. I, I don't like the way she stood up and fell down. And so I'm a concerned parent over on the sideline. Stands are full, both opposing and home team. And I could see the concern. I was standing beside a police officer. We were talking, just, just chatting. He's kind of watching the game and he's like, oh, that didn't look good. He didn't know it was my daughter. So my wife comes, and, and I said, Honey, just the, the, the medic runs out on the field. The coach runs out on the field. The girls are motioning. There's blood on her face. I mean, it was a bad deal. And my wife goes out there, and I'm, I'm with Ridge, and so I'm kind of watching him. And so then a, a lady comes and says, Hey, let me watch him. And you go. I go out there, and she's not responsive. She's just she's breathing, but she's, she's, her eyes are twitching, her head... And, I, and, and she's definitely in a, in a bad way. And for 10 minutes, I watched my daughter lay there, would not respond to anything. I'll be honest, on the middle, in smack dab in the middle of the field, I had a prayer meeting. And I'm glad that I didn't have to say, now, Lord, it's been a while. I didn't even have to say, dear Heavenly Father. I just said, God, I need a miracle now. I need something to happen now. This is not good. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm scared to death. I could see the concern on the coach. I could see the concern on the medic. I could see the concern on my wife. Even the players and, and the opposing, nobody's leaving. The game's over and we're all watching. Just in a moment, it seemed like eternity. Her eyes started she began to cry and, 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 and where am I at? And didn't remember, don't take me out of the game. And, and what's going, the ambulance is there at the time and there's lights and there's people all in her face. And she, you know, we're, we're just concerned. And listen, we go to the hospital. I'm still all the way to the hospital. Lord, uh, God, please uh, touch her. And I, I don't want there to be anything, anything wrong. And thank God there's really nothing wrong that we know of. And she's, she's doing a, a lot better. But can I say this? Listen, I'm glad that in the middle of that field, I didn't have to say, Lord, I'm sorry for not talking to you for a while. Would it, would it be that we could just be plugged in to where we can stop at the drop of a hat and say, Lord, I believe that's what it means to be praying without ceasing. Pray. You're, you're going to need it one day. You say, Pastor, everything's all right. You're going to need it one day. Quit calling everybody else to pray for you. You pray. You pray, oh, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Hey, good, ask people to pray. But have you prayed? Some of you look nervous. But can I say this? I would be too if it had been a while since I talked to my father. I'd be nervous. We stand before God one day. We stand in His presence and He's wondering why we didn't talk to Him more. We are to live in Christ. We are to abode in Christ. We are to dwell in Christ in prayer. Verse 8 says this, Herein is my Father glorified, 
So the glory, listen, church, the glory does not come in us. The glory belongs to God. When we bear fruit, God is glorified, not us. You say, Pastor, look at him. Boy, look at that guy. Look, boy, what a Christian. No, it's what a God. What a God. What a vine. We got a good vine, don't we? Here's the last thing. We'll have joy to the max. I've done said it. These things have I spoken unto you that your joy might, my joy might remain in you, that your joy might be full. How's your joy? How's your joy? Are you abiding in Christ? Do you know Him today? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we...